0: Uh, it is indeed a privilege, but it is a grave responsibility to uh, preach the Word of God. Uh, I guess I feel many times when we get up to preach, like the Apostle Paul I must have felt when he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm just going to read this here, he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers... I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and that's just the way I feel this morning. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of Of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And this morning, that is what we desire. We desire for God's power and the power of the Holy Spirit of God to be able to come and to reside within us, and that He will indeed open the eyes of our hearts. This morning, let's go to Him in a word of prayer before we turn to this wonderful book. Uh, Psalm 1, Heavenly Father, I just come humbly before you just now, Lord, with weakness and fear and trembling, but realizing, Lord, that in you there is all power, and Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit of God, we realize that we can do all things. It's not us, but it's you. And so I ask this morning that you would speak to us, that you would open our eyes, that we might see Jesus. That is our desire, that's our uh, heartfelt plea this morning. And I ask that each one of us might be filled and that we might grow closer and closer to the word of God and to our Savior Jesus Christ. And I thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you will do in Christ's name. Amen. This morning as we look at Psalm 1, uh, we find that actually in this psalm, it basically gives us an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. He's talking about the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. He's talking about the just and the unjust. And as you go through the Psalms, you find that. But first of all, in verse 1, David starts out and he says, Blessed is the man. Just stop for a little bit and think about that. Blessed is the man. Now, he's not just talking about a man, man as far as... Uh, the male gender, he's talking about man and woman, mankind. So he says, blessed is the man. And then we stop him to think a little bit, what does he mean by this word blessed? Blessed. Blessed actually means it's a deep-seated joy or contentment in God. Or it means to be happy. So we can say we are to be blessed is to be happy or contented or joyful in God. And I thought of being blessed by God, and I thought, well, you know, where do we look maybe to talk a little bit about that? And I and I guess it hit me uh one time in the middle of the night, about two in the morning, I woke up and I got to thinking. And Jesus was speaking in Matthew 5 on the Sermon of the Mount, and I thought, what, what a better place to go than to Jesus' own words. And so we went to Matthew chapter 5, and that's where we'll go this morning for a little while. And we'll just turn there, Matthew chapter 5. And in the Sermon of the Mount here, we read at the beginning on verse 1, he says, seeing the crowds, that's Jesus, he went up into the mountain and he, when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now the disciples, all 12 of them were there. We can just see them all, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and Philip, and, and Bartholomew, and Thomas, and Matthew, and Judas, and Judas Iscariot, they were all there, and and. I just wonder what was going through their minds. They, they probably thought, you know, man, here, God's going to bless us. God's going to teach us uh, what it's like to be blessed. And I can see Peter. <laughs> you know how Peter was. He was a pretty uh, outspoken young man. And he, he all of a sudden, you know, he was an old fisherman. And all, most of the disciples were, actually. But uh, Peter might have thought, boy, here he's going to just bless us with all types of miraculous happenings. I just can't wait to see what's going to happen here, what he's going to come up with. And then there was Matthew who was a tax collector, and he probably said, uh, you know, he was was concerned about making money, and so he probably said, I bet you he's going to just pour out all types of financial riches on us. And... uh, They got to thinking together, and you know, I bet he's going to just make us filthy rich. And then they were thinking only about the material things. They were thinking only about being rich, being wealthy in this earth, how they will be blessed in that manner. They were not thinking about the spiritual things, and then when Jesus opened his mouth, it says, in verse two, and he taught them, saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." I think that kind of shocked them. They probably said, "Wait a minute! Whoa, Nelly, what kind of a blessing is that?" They they weren't they weren't thinking about poor in spirit, what's he saying there? What was Jesus trying to tell him? He was basically telling them, and you and I today, that we are literally spiritually bankrupt without God himself. We are all bankrupt completely spiritually without God. We must understand that we are totally lost, and we are totally hopeless without God and Jesus Christ and His divine grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone would boast. But what is the blessing for the poor in spirit? The blessing, he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven you know that we, you and I, are really filthy rich spiritually? We have it all. We even got mansions laid up in heaven for us. Jesus told us about that in John 14. He says, My Father's house are many mansions. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you, and I'll come again and receive you unto myself. For the where I am, you'll be also. So we have eternal life. That's the blessing. Next he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus is not talking about going to a funeral and mourning over those who just have died. He's not uh, talking about when it says in the scriptures that it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of laughter. He's talking about us mourning over our sin, realizing godly sorrow that produces repentance that leads to salvation. That's what he's talking about, godly sorrow. David said in Psalm 51, we're all familiar with that, when David committed sin and adultery with Bathsheba, he cried out and he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions and my sin. He says, I have sinned against you and you only. Then he says, Create a clean heart in me, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Then he says, restore again the joy of your salvation. David felt that full responsibility, the full repentance. He realized that he was spiritually bankrupt without God's forgiveness and saving grace. He was totally comforted in Christ alone. How blessed we are. Blessed are the meek, Jesus says, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek is not the weak. Meekness is not weakness. Jesus is talking about a person who has complete self-control by the Spirit of God and we read about that in Galatians 5:23 when he talks about the fruit of the spirit. He said the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. Self-control is a beautiful thing when we see someone that is filled with humility and totally has self-control. Psalms 37, says, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. That's the blessing. We shall delight ourselves in abundant peace. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Have you ever been hungry? Have you ever been thirsty? Myself, I, I don't recall of ever being, what I might say, really hungry. But I have been thirsty. I was thirsty last week. <laughs> I think Mike was too. <laughs> and probably anybody that works outside. We get thirsty. And you know what? Colby uh, Parker and I, he's been helping me this week. And I had, we had water. I mean, we had loads of water in a, in a tub over there filled with ice. And so we could get water whenever we wanted it. But there was something about that. Every time we got thirsty, we'd drink a, a, a 16 ounces of, of uh, water. And it wasn't, but a few minutes later, we were thirsty again. We weren't really satisfied. We couldn't get satisfied. It was just too hot. But here he says, we are to have a thirst for righteousness like we have thirst for our water, naturally. We'll do just about anything to quench our thirst if we're really thirsty. Now, we aren't thirsting after our own righteousness like the Pharisees did. We are thirsting after God's righteousness. And if we seek it, we'll find it. For they shall be satisfied, it says. That's the blessing. They will be filled. Matthew says, I believe Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And those things were water, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, and what you shall wear. They were worried about that, and so he said, Well, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. So that is the blessing, is that you will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. Who is the merciful? It's those of us who realize what great mercy has been shown to you and I by God that we're able to extend mercy to others when we realize what, as uh, Paul says in Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is why we can look back at the cross. <laughs> and that's where we see the mercy of God. And because of that mercy, I'm able to extend mercy and grace to those around me. And what does it say? Where's the blessing? Where's the blessing? for they shall receive mercy. What a blessing. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Who's the pure in heart? I think it's those who really have a sincere love and desire towards God, a heart that loves them completely. They will see God, not only by faith do we see Him, but in the glory of heaven. 1 Corinthians two nine, Paul says, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. I can't even... We can't imagine. We, ha- we don't have any kind of imagination of what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be so great. There's some here just recently have passed on in our congregation. Phil's dad, stepdad, just went to be with the Lord. Now he knows. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered in the heart of man those things that are prepared for those who love him. That is the blessing. We shall see God. Then he says, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. Matthew 5.44 says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Each one of us who are peacemakers, we try by God's Holy Spirit to live at peace with all men. That's our desire. We are more than sons. He says we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ himself. What an amazing thought. I can't even imagine. Oh, what blessings. He's got a couple more here. He says, blessed, verse 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for, zo- for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we are mistreated, brothers and sisters, for righteousness' sake, when we are falsely accused, when we are lied about, and there's evil things that are said about us for Christ's account, remember the blessing. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. To be a blessed man or woman of God, by God, may not be paved by easiness or earthly comforts, but our spiritual blessings are complete eternal bliss, more than anything this earth can ever offer. Now we go back to Psalm 1. That's kind of the ways that the blessed man is blessed. And now we're going to go to Psalm 1 and in verse 1 where he says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in in the seat of the scornful. David continues here by an example of sin's downward spiral. Walks not, nor stands, nor sits. That pretty much covers our life, doesn't it? He really tells us here not to associate or become too entangled with these kinds of people. Number one, walks not in the counsel of the wicked. First John 1, 6 and 7, he says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what happens? We will have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know that you can't walk in darkness and in the light at the same time? It won't happen. We either walk by the flesh or we walk by the spirit. We see this downward progression. First, we walk. In the counsel of the wicked, just alongside of them. Just alongside. Not too close, but alongside. Number two, nor stands in the way of sinners. Now we're getting just a little more entangled with the life of the sinner. You know, God wants us to share Jesus Christ in the gospel with sinners that's that's his desire his desire is to share his word and his gospel with others but he doesn't want us to get so involved with their lifestyles what do you have I heard an old preacher say one time when I was a little boy I thought he was an old man he was probably about my age because I was just a little fella And uh, he says, What do you have when you got two good boys? This is a very simple little illustration, and one bad boy. He says, You got three bad boys. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was a pretty simple illustration uh, that evil, for some reason, seems to overcome good. We have to be careful how close we come to those around us that are walking in sin. Paul tells us that we are not to be yoked together with unbelievers, like in marriage or in business venture. That's a dangerous thing because one loves the Lord, one does not, and it usually is harmful to the believer. So he warns us there. The third thing is nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. We are not just walking alongside or standing in the way. We are now sitting by them in the seat of the scoffers. The scoffers, they're a brutal bunch. They are totally antagonistic against God, and His Word. They mock and they make fun of God and of His righteousness. They are totally wicked and evil. If we desire to be blessed man or woman, we are to walk, stand, and sit in the ways of the righteous, not the wicked. That's what we learn in just that first verse. Now he comes on into verse 2, and now it's probably where this message really hits me. And I think it's probably going to hit every one of us this morning. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, David gives us a positive description of a spiritually happy man or woman. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And I got to thinking a little bit about that as I meditated upon that, as the Holy Spirit began to work in my heart. And I thought, really? Bruce, what is your delight? I'd like to ask you each one that question this morning. What is your delight? Do we delight only in our comforts? Do we delight only in our our house, our cars, our expensive clothes, power, prestige, and the list could go on and on and on and on? probably different for each one of us but David says blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night do I really delight in God's Word do I really or am I more concerned about the things of this life. The Bible is so plain in Colossians it says set your affections on things above and not on things of this earth. You know when we can look and see all the blessings that we found that Jesus blessed them in the, on the sermon of the mount. I don't I don't know why in the world we don't have more of a desire for God's word. This last two days, I've been just totally saturated in this word. And then I wonder, why? Why don't I spend more time here? Most of us know 2 Timothy 3.16, which says that his word is God-breathed, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Do you and I believe that? That that's what the Word tells us? How well do I know the Bible? How much do I love His Word? Really? Did you know that there is 783,000 words, there's 33,200 verses, there's 189 chapters, there's 39 books in the Old Testament, and there's 27 books in the New, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelations. Did you know that it was written in three different languages? The Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek, and by approximately 40 different men. (laughs) All God breathed. This word is alive. It's alive. It is a living word. It should be our greatest joy. And our greatest delight to read, to study, and meditate on the Word of God. That should be our greatest love. The Gospel of John, verse 1, says that we've been reading about here in John, Phil's been preaching on, and it says that the Word was God. It says, in the beginning the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Do you and I really want to know God? Then we have to read the Word of God. It tells all about Him, because He is God. And John 1.14 says, just a little farther down, we've read in the last few weeks, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Do we want to know His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? We have to know the Word of God. We can know Him. That's what the Apostle Paul said. How can we we meditate on His Word if we don't know His Word and if we don't read His Word? Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. Do I really desire to know Jesus Christ in a deep and an intimate way? We can, by digging into God's word, we can know the power of his resurrection It is displayed in the life, the transformed life of the believer who is transformed by the resurrected life of Christ. The more I am acquainted with his life, his death, and his resurrection, the more I will know him, Jesus Christ, my Savior. He will teach me how to live. He will teach me how to love. He teaches me how to forgive. It should be our greatest desire to delight ourselves in His Word each and every day of our life. But you know, many of us will say, and I'll say it too, this message is hitting me probably harder than anyone. Many of us will say, "You know, I don't have time. There's just not enough time to study the Word of God every day." But you know what? I don't know about you, but I can sit down, and I can watch a ball game, I can open my book, I can watch TV, or a host of other things for hours on a time, at a time. And it really comes back. I mean, there's nothing wrong with going, watching a ball game. There's nothing wrong with watching TV. There's nothing wrong with reading a book or uh, spending our time there. But when it becomes wrong for us or sin in our lives is when we don't spend time reading the Word of God because we can't really say we delight in His Word if we don't read it. I read a shocking statistic recently. And it said that the average Christian in America spends about seven minutes a week, seven minutes a week, reading God's Word. What a shame. I wondered how in the world can we expect to grow in God's grace by spending only Seven minutes a week in His Word. How can we say we delight in the Word? If we spend so much little time in it, we can't. No wonder the American church today is getting weak. And it's getting so far away from the teaching of the Scriptures. No wonder many do not live obedient, sanctified, and holy lives unto God our Savior. They do not live by the Scripture or out the Scripture because they do not know the Scripture. It's just that simple. I met with Gordon Rumble, I think it was Friday morning, a pastor friend of mine one of my best buddies over at Big Valley, and he said, uh, he said, I had somebody come in just the other day, and he said, this isn't about studying the Word, this is about prayer. He said, you know, Pastor, he said, I just don't have any time to pray. And uh, Gordon says, uh, let me tell you something. He said, do you know that if you live to 60 years old, that you will spend seven months of your life waiting for red lights. Seven months just waiting and waiting for the light to turn green. <laughs> he said, you know, you got some time there that you can pray. Just stop, pray every time you get on that red light. Kind of an interesting little tidbit. <laughs> This morning it is really my earnest prayer. And it's my earnest desire, and I trust that there are none of us here at RHC that have such little delight in the Word of God. I don't think there is anything that gives Pastor Phil and us elders, Paul and Mike, And Dan and myself, we get together at elder meetings and pray for the needs of our body here. And I don't think there's anything that gives us more joy than to see our folks walking in the ways of the word of the Lord. It just fills us with joy. Because it is, God has called us to help shepherd the flock, And it gives us great joy when we see that. And I really trust and hope and pray that everyone here has a great desire to study and to delight yourself in the Word of God. You know, we have such a great blessing, I don't even know why we wouldn't. It's so available. I hope that we can delight totally in his word and meditate on it day and night. And what happens to us then? It says it will be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. but I'm getting a little ahead of myself here for one thing. <laughs> First of all, I thought, what keeps us away from God's Word? What keeps us away from God's Word? If we read 1 John two fifteen and 16, it says, "...love not the world, nor the things that are in the world, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes." the lust of the flesh and it uses desire there i was back in the old king james for a moment it talks about the natural man and it says the number one desire of the flesh and if we read galatians 5:19 and 21 i think we'll just turn there a moment galatians 5:19 and 21 Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and so on. I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is the desires of the flesh, those things. then he says the desires of the eyes that is the avenue that incites wrong desires and causes temptation Joshua 7 and 20 and 21 says Joshua says when i saw a beautiful cloak i saw 2nd Samuel 11:2 says when david arose from his couch And was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw a woman bathing, a beautiful woman. And he went down, and we know the story. He committed sin with Bathsheba. And I wondered about that's wonder he didn't fall off the roof. But he didn't. God had grace on him, mercy. Uh, Matthew 5, 27 and 29 says, anyone who looks, our eyes, who looks, at a woman with lustful and intent, with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So sin really starts here in the eyes, doesn't it? We see in the eyes, it goes to the mind, and we sin. And number three is the pride of life. It's arrogance, thinking we're better than others, trying to impress others. James 4.13 says, you boast in your arrogance. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. So we need to be careful. We can't put any confidence in our flesh. It will result in pride and death and sin. John calls this loving the world and he says if we love the world the love of the Father is not in Him. So those three things I think are some of the main thrusts that keep us away from the Word of God. What draws us close to His Word? I think we see that in Matthew in the great first commandment, Matthew 22, 37 when He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Number one, with all your heart. We see that in Deuteronomy, the same thing. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And Joshua 22.5, it says, to serve Him with all your heart. So if we want to love the Word of God, we have to love God with all our heart. Number 2 he says with all your soul. I love that psalm 42 verse 1 and 2 where he says as a deer pants for flowing stream so pants my soul for you O God. My soul thirsts for God the living God. And Psalm 19:7 says the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. Does our soul really pan after God? I hope so. I hope we pan after God like the deer pants after flowing water when he's thirsty. And he'll revive our soul. How thankful we are for that. And also, number three, with all your strength. Psalm 28.7 says, The Lord is my strength in my shield. In Psalm 7326, but God is the strength of my heart. Psalm 105 4 says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Continually. If we really love God with our whole being, there is nothing that will keep us away from His Word. Nothing. It will be our delight. It will be our meditation. It will be our all in all. It will truly be our first love. We'll find no true joy and no peace, real peace, outside Of this word of the Lord. It's not there. If you want your life to really be blessed, saturate yourself with this word of God. Then watch what happens. He tells us in verse three He says, He is like a tree. I like that little analogy. I always wanted to be a tree. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that she yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Huh. Here he tells us what will happen. He says a tree that is planted by streams of water. What happens to that tree? Well, number one, it will grow. You will grow. 1 Peter 2.3 says, Like newborn infants or babies, long for the spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. You will grow up into Christ. Like little baby Bentley back there who's, you know, probably the greatest thing he loves right now is milk. (laughs) And he longs for that milk. But that's the way we need to be. We need to be like that little baby. Longing for the milk of the word of God. So we can grow into Christ. And number two, it says... You will produce fruit, yields its fruit in its season. John 14, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, not just a little fruit, not just some fruit, but much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we see that we, if we abide in the vine, if we abide in the Word of God and we abide in Christ and His Word abides in us, we will produce much fruit. It's that simple. And that's a a blessing. But we have to abide in the vine. Number three, it tells us that dead leaves and branches will be removed. Here he says "A leaf does not wither. But the vine, he says, John 14, 5 says, or 15, 2, I'm sorry, every branch in me that bears not fruit, he says, he takes it away. He's talking about the apostate, the fake believer, so to speak, a person that's playing the game. Maybe they go to church every Sunday and they, they look like they're, they're a, a believer in Christ. They're just, they're just like the Pharisees. He says, every branch that doesn't bear any fruit, he says, he's going to just take it away. But every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. So, he's not satisfied with just much fruit. He wants to prune it like he has to do with you and I. He has to discipline us. The Lord chastens those who he loves. So, he prunes us so we can bear more fruit. What a blessing. (laughs) So, you see what's happening to this tree. Then he says, You will prosper. And I'm going to go to Ephesians just a moment because I want to read it there. I thought maybe I had it all memorized, but I think I better, if I was 30 years younger, I could probably do that, or 20 maybe. Phil could. (laughs) But Ephesians 4, uh, verses, see, I'm sorry, here a minute. Ephesians uh, chapter 2, 4 through 9. I'm going to read it. Here he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. who is rich in mercy. You will enjoy salvation and His marvelous work of grace in your lives. You will prosper. John ten twenty seven and 28. I love that verse. <laughs> he says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. They will never perish, and no man will snatch them out of my Father's hand. You know, with so much blessing on every hand, why, oh, why, oh, why do we not live in daily fellowship and communion with our God and Savior? Why? Verse 4 gives us an abrupt contrast. It says, The wicked are not so, or not so the wicked. They're like chaff. I remember when I was a boy, I used to watch, uh, or I actually helped them where they harvested wheat and, and the wheat, you know, they would go into this, the grain bins. Maybe it was a bank out on a, on a truck and it would go in there and they would, the chaff was just like this, kind of like a feathery stuff that just blow away in the wind. And uh, it, <laughs> they're like chaff, totally without any value. And we're the only... Be- to be discarded. And they really, the chaff just blew away in the wind. Just totally good for nothing. Good for nothing. Worthless. The way of the wicked. Therefore, he goes on in verse 5, therefore gives us a strong conclusion that the ungodly will not be approved by God's judgment. And we're going to go to Revelations 20, 11, 15 for just a moment. Revelations chapter 20, verse 15. 11 through 15, I'm sorry. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That is God's eternal justice for the wicked. I don't like to think about that, but a few Sundays ago, it's been a month or so ago maybe now, that our dear brother Cameron preached on hell. that is the way of the wicked. God is love, yes. But because of his love, there is justice. Those who follow him, those who live for him, those who delight in the law of the Lord will spend eternity with him. But those who reject him, those who are wicked, will be cast in the lake of fire. And that is the second death. Verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. In 2 Timothy 19, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. What a blessing that is. He knows us. He even knows how many hairs are on her head, and he doesn't have to count mine much anymore. I've got a lot less than I used to. But you know, he knows those who are his. We can be so thankful of that. He knows our course of life. Let us live transformed lives by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. But the way of the wicked will perish, as we just found out. And also in Psalm 9 5, it says, You have rebuked the nations, you have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. It's pretty amazing. Psalm 1 David started out with blessed, is the man, and he ends with those who will perish. You know, we are either the righteous or we are either the wicked. There's no other way to say it. There's no middle ground. Beloved, we're either saved or we're lost. We will either spend eternal life with God, or we will spend eternal damnation apart from God. And it would be my greatest desire this morning that each and every one of us will meet on that shore of heaven someday. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to that time that Corinthians told us about where eye is not seen or ear heard, nor it's even entered into the imagination of man, those things that's prepared for us. I'm longing for that time. I really am. You know, The older I get, the more I see that this, you know, the old body, elbows ache, my shoulders ache, and (laughs) it's just the way it is life. I'm so thankful that I'm as well off as I am. I'm well blessed, basically, physically even. But I'm so thankful that even spiritually, as I get closer to the end of my life and I start to realize I have more time, really, to spend in the Word of God. And it is a blessing to me. I We just can't wait, but you know, we're still here. And so this morning, for those of you who are here today who may not know Christ as their savior, today is a day of salvation. Come to Jesus while there's still time, while there's still life, and give your life to Him and enjoy with us what it is like to be blessed by God. For those of us who know Christ as our Savior, I encourage us all to delight in the law of the Lord. Give ourselves over to the word of God. It is the greatest most wonderful thing that we could we can have in this life. Nothing is like it. We are literally we are literally spiritually rich completely. And live a life that's filled with his love, with his joy, And with his peace.